This is More Than Therapy Podcast. More Than Therapy. This is More Than Therapy. More Than Therapy Podcast. This is More Than Therapy. More Than Therapy Podcast. This is More Than Therapy Podcast. Hello, welcome to another episode of More Than Therapy. Today we talk with Gabby, the frequent napper. Gabby's going to discuss with us regarding the journey from burnout to recovery. I myself have experienced burnout at maybe at two or three times in my career of mental health, as well as my military career. And I'm glad that at times it was caught before it became too dangerous to myself or dangerous to others. And I think that people need to know the signs of burnout, address the burnout. And as clinicians, as therapists, as mental health professionals, I believe it's important to also get therapy. And a lot of therapists always back up off that. Oh, I don't want therapy. I don't want therapy. How am I a therapist and need therapy? Well, I believe that when we take on the world, that we need somebody to unleash the world on, as well as get back to our basics of understanding strategies to help us alleviate the problems that we come in contact with in the world that we are in as mental health professionals, as helping persons. But this is not about my story. Today, we're talking with Gabby, the frequent napper, about <laughs> her journey from burnout to recovery. Gabby, please. Hi, thank you. Um, thanks for having me. I'm pretty excited to speak with you today. <clears throat> Um, I know we've been talking for a while, you know, you've been trying to get me on your <laughs> podcast and I've been very hesitant. Yes, um, and, uh, you know, it's nice to finally, you know, put a face to the screen because, you know, we met, I want to say through Instagram, um, probably when the pandemic started, um, right. through, um, doc S, you know, doc, I, I don't want to butcher his last name, but it's Dr. Randy. Is it Sconiers? Sconiers? I never heard him say it, so I don't okay. want to issue it either. <laughs> okay. So, you know, for any of the listeners, please check out um, Dr. Randy. He's D-O-C period underscore S. Um, he's doing a lot of great work uh, with yes. like with hip hop um, and adolescents. So, you know, I, I just remember we were on his live one day and we just kind of we're talking a little bit. I checked out your page. Like, I think we just mutually followed one another and mm-hmm. the rest is history. So yes, ma'am. I'm here, Indeed. I'm here today. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, but you had quite a journey in your life recently. I don't know if the pandemic was a contributor to that, but you've experienced burnout. Do you want to talk about that journey? Um, yes. So uh, I am a social worker in the state of New Jersey. Um, I recently finished all my clinical hours my application is in. Thank you. It's been a very long road, a very long road. Um, and, uh, you know, so I'm waiting to get my LCSW. Um, <clears throat> but along my journey to accruing those clinical hours, um, my mental health has been severely impacted um, from the position that I was in. Uh, and I think, I do think the pandemic was probably a, also a contributing factor as well. <clears throat> So I don't know where I should start. <laughs> what was your role in mental health? What were you doing regarding your cl- getting your clinical hours? You know, okay. What kind of role did you have? 
Okay, so I guess I should preface, you know, um, I'm going to try to keep like where I worked oh, and yeah, of some course, of the things of course, that I did, you know, on the on the low, low. And, you know, my opinions are my own, my own yes. experience. It's not yes. a reflection of yes. my previous employer. But, um, you know, so my role, um, I was a full time uh, mental health clinician for a co-occurring population in, in a mm -hmm. facility slash agency, if you want to call it that. So, right. um, so I did that. <clears throat> I made it to almost four years there in that position. Um, and then, you know, prior to that, I had about <clears throat> between internship and um, working uh, after my internship, I was hired. So I have a roughly about like six years working with a co-occurring um, substance use population. So, um, you know, so I've kind of stuck with that, with that type of population over the, over the last six years. And um, I think, you know, when I look back at my, my journey, um, I started to think about <clears throat> what may have brought me to this point. Um, and I, I started thinking about, okay, like what are the factors that might contribute to somebody that could have burnout? And I think about, you know, is it the agency itself, like unrealistic expectations? Uh, the paperwork is never ending. Um, you know, sometimes you have to take on more than what your role is required to do. Um, I think sometimes we have toxic coworkers. Um, some that might be borderline abusive. <laughs> that was basically my own experience. Um, you know, sometimes if we have poor supervisors, I think that could be a contributing factor. Um, my supervisor was actually pretty awesome. And I had told her, I was like, listen, if you ever leave, I'm out, I'm done. Like, I'm not staying here if you're leaving. Like, I can't, like, I don't want to work for anybody else. <laughs> like, um, so, you know, but I think, I think also sometimes, um, the population that we work with can be, um, draining. And, you know, I don't only mean like just co-occurring, I think any population, you know, has its challenges, um, you know, whether it's children, adolescents, um, severe mental illness, you know, the geriatric hospice, um, you know, adult protective services, child protective services, any, any population can, can lead you to burnout. Um, so <clears throat> I think there's that. I think sometimes, you know, in the mental health realm, when we're first starting out, um, you know, the, the wages are low. You know, our, our, val our work is not valued. It's not paid appropriately. You know, we have, most of us have master's degrees. We're working on our, our clinical licenses, LPCs, LMHCs, um, you know, LCADCs, LCSWs. Um, I think, you know, the, the salary, it's, it's atrocious. Um, so there's, there's a lot of different things, um, I think, that contribute to burnout. Definitely. I know the things that you named, I probably can relate to 90% of those, you know, the bad supervisor or inappropriate supervisors or supervisors not <laughs> being the most supportive, probably the one that stands out the most, or mm -hmm. even being unethical in their approach to supervision. If they're mm -hmm. an agency director putting way too much on your plate to get the most out of you, not knowing that it can contribute to your burnout, and at times border on ethical dilemmas. Right. Yeah. I, I too work in a co I too worked and currently do work in a co-occurring disorders agency. So I do know exactly what you mean. Well, you, this population has significant 
issues and problems that are more complicated than, you know, a typical mental health client. You know what I'm saying? It's co-occurring. It's co-burdening. It impacts multiple domains, legal, vocational. Yeah. They might have DSS involvement. They may have housing insecurities, you know yep. what I'm saying? A housing domain impairments. It's just, and you're trying to fix all the things as it relates to that person because yes. you can't really do any real work until their basic needs are met. And then in the cities like mine, cities like yours, where the resources are drying up, drying up as the yeah. 1% gathers all these resources for themselves in some effect. Let's turn this $50,000 house into a $400,000 house, therefore displacing a whole community. Mm -hmm. Yes, um, it's it's definitely challenging. Like you said, all of the different domains, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, a lot of people come in, like you said, legal problems, mandated. I had a lot of mandated clients. And I think sometimes with mandated clients, that poses its own challenge. There's a lot of resistance <clears throat> and you have to spend a lot of time trying to build trust. Mm -hmm. um, so it's it is it is challenging. A lot of people are facing homelessness, you know, trying to trying to get people who came out of the legal system. It's very unfair um, for for this population to try to find a job. A lot of people don't hire if you have a background and people are trying to do honest, real work and they can't get hired. Um, and, that, and that's very that's very distressing for a lot of clients because they're trying to you know get food. They're trying to have a home, a stable place to stay, you know, a place even just trying to find safe housing where it's not in a high risk area. Um, it's it's very challenging. So. Um, you know, the population, it's, it has, its, it has its challenges for sure. Indeed. Um, so, you know, I think, I don't really know what, what my purpose is today. I think maybe just sharing my experience. I hope that maybe someone that's listening can kind of recognize the sign of burnout or multiple signs of burnout um, and maybe try to, I guess, create an exit plan if that's the case. Yes, that makes sense to me. I believe that a podcast like this, a show like this, this allows opportunities for people to know that they're not alone, that there are other people like them, some people that are experiencing it, how they're getting through it, and how they might have made it to the other side, that, that point of recovery. Mm -hmm. That I know that when I was younger, I used to listen to this one particular not podcast, but show, in which it made it okay to be not okay. You know what I'm saying? There was one of those AM stations that was, you know, not only, you didn't even know about it because it was a burnout AM station in the Midwest. And it was just, it allowed me to be able to be more vocal, to verbalize myself more, to be okay with the emotions or feelings that I was feeling. Mm -hmm. I made the More to Therapy podcast just for that, to allow people to understand that it's, yesterday does not define today that you know you're not you don't be defined by a label that you can overcome anything that people put on you as regards to a label and that it's okay to not be okay yeah i think you know i'm coming to terms with that i'm i'm being more vocal now about my experience um and I'm still trying to figure out, you know, what does my healed self look like? How, how will I feel? How will I know? And, um, you know, one of the things that I, I did immediately get, you know, was a therapist. Mm -hmm. um, and <clears throat> I've been with her for, for several years now. 
Um, I don't know exactly what level she is, but she does EMDR. Okay. So, so I've been doing EMDR. Um, and, you know, I think for me, I think my journey to burnout started, um, I want to say almost, let's see, October, November, December, June. About maybe about 10 months into my position that I was in. Okay. Um, I, at that point, um, when I looked, when I look back at it, I was working full time at, at the agency. Mm-hmm. Um, I was running an evening IOP program by myself. I had a full caseload. Um, the max, you know, state regulations, max size of group was 13 for one clinician. Right. I had a caseload right. of 13 people as well as an outpatient um, caseload. So I was managing two different programs. I was alone at night um, mm-hmm. in a, in a city where, you know, it's, not the safest area, you know, the right. Thursday evenings, I'd be walking out to my car alone at 11 o'clock at night, no security guards, nothing, you know? Right. Um, and so there was that. And then I was working part-time um, pr- at private practice, trying to accrue more clinical hours and also, right. you know, a side hustle. Um, and then I was still waitressing on Sundays at, um, at a restaurant. So I only had one day off, which was Fridays. Um, and you know, at the time when I had started out, my salary was very low, so I couldn't I couldn't pay all of my bills on just one one salary. Right. Um, and basically, at that point, um, I was I felt like I was in crisis. I wasn't able to sit still. Um, you know, I wasn't sleeping well. I was like almost like an ins- having insomnia, um, constantly stressing. I remember at one point, you know, I was crying every day on my way to work on the drive. My stomach would be in knots. I would have GI upset. Um, And uh, during that summer, I had my first panic attack ever. So, you know, that that was the the first my first wave, I think, of of heading towards burnout. And at that point, um, I did wind up talking to uh, my doctor and I started medication Um, you know, just to try to help me cope, you know, I was having thoughts about like wanting to die on my way to work, like wishing that I could just drive off a bridge or like, you know, I wish something like a truck would just smash into me, you know, and, and that's not healthy. Like that's a warning sign. Like if you're having thoughts about wanting to die, (laughs) you know, crying on your way to work, um, nightmares, um, you know, not able to sit still, unable to relax like that, that's serious, you know? So, um, I think that was the first, the first cue. Um, you know, I got on, I got on some medication. Um, you know, I'd like to normalize medication for practitioners and clinicians. I think, I think it can be an excellent tool while you're trying to get through what you're going through. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and then eventually my partner, um, my boyfriend, we've been together for about five years. He said to me, he was like, Gabby, like, I, he's like, I, I don't know what to do to help you, but something has to change because I can't, he's like, I can't have you like be like this. You know, it's, it's, you're not who you were. Um, and it's true. Like, I feel like through this journey of getting my clinical hours, I lost myself. Um, so, <clears throat> uh, so eventually I made the decision to leave um, the waitressing job. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, well, I need to have a plan of action, right? When we're starting to experience burnout, we need to figure out, okay, what changes can we make to try to make this better? Um, not everybody has the ability to just up and leave their job. Um, 
you know, I feel like with the pandemic, there's been a huge wave of people that are like, I'm quitting. That's it. Like, I don't give a shit, you know, like quit your job. Like, so like I see TikToks and Instagram posts, like this is the sign to quit your job. It's like, okay, is that a reality for everybody? It's, it's not. Right. <laughs> um, so, you know, that was like the first step. Okay. Like, how do I, how do I make my life more manageable? So, um, so I did that. And then eventually one of my coworkers, um, wanted to swap, um, to the evening hours because she was moving way across the state. Um, and the commute and stuff, it would be much better for her. And I was like, yes, like, okay, like, this is awesome. I actually get to have like daytime hours and not work late at night. And, um, you know, it'll be five days a week instead of four, but then I was able to shift, um, my my part-time position at the private practice to evening hours so you know fast forward a bit um i'm, I'm balancing that uh between the two jobs but my days are incredibly long you know i'm doing i'm doing monday and wednesday evenings sometimes fridays um and i'm, I'm waking up you know early i had an hour commute each way to my to my job at that time um, and then I would, I would shoot from my job down to my second job and, you know, I would have four clients back to back at night. So I'm leaving, I'm leaving the house at seven and I'm not getting home until eight, nine o'clock at night. It's a long day. Right. Um, and you're, you're just fatigued, you're tired. Um, so I was doing that for a long time. Um, you know, I had, I had, uh, great retention with private practice clients. I enjoyed that work very, very much. Um, but the fatigue was, was real from mm -hmm. my day job. You know, it's like, how present can you be if you're exhausted from the work that you're doing during the daytime? Right. Um, you know, it's like, you know, stopping by getting Dunkin' Donuts before I go, go to my, my second job and, you know, trying to be present and listen. Um, I've heard, I, I see comments and I hear stories about like clinicians falling asleep on their clients i'm like i'm like what like you know that thankfully that's never <laughs> happened to me and i don't ever want that to happen to me but nah, it's like, you don't if, want that <laughs> no like but if you're running on fumes like you know and you're falling asleep with your clients like that's a sign that something's seriously wrong right. <laughs> you know so um but yeah so i was i was doing that for a while <clears throat> i don't know do you have any questions for me fumes yeah <laughs> Nah, nah, no questions, no questions. You're doing a great job, you know, breaking yeah. down your perspective. I believe, I believe clinicians should be more open to understanding that it's okay to not be okay, that it's okay to get help, seek help, get support. I believe that oftentimes clinicians are in bubbles. That's why I try to promote community where I'm from mm. regarding mental health, because we live in these bubbles. It's just me. It's just my case. So, yeah, I might have a clinical supervisor or a licensed supervisor. I deal with them one hour a week, maybe. I might have rounds, depending on what agency. Yes. I don't really get to say much in rounds because there's so many people and they saying stuff. You know what I'm saying? And I just want people to know that it's okay to be okay. I would love to have a podcast just based on burnout because I see so much damage that clinicians do when they do burnout. Mm -hmm. I've seen client. I've seen clinicians start using drugs and alcohol again if they had an addiction background. Right, if they're in recovery. Yep. Right. Mm -hmm. I've seen clinicians fall into relationships with clients because of burnouts, causing them to lose their license. Yep. I've seen clients, you know, violate multiple, you know, boundary issues because 
the burnout, not making clinical decisions, not having the support to discuss these things before it got to that point. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, that, a, a number of lot. things. Yeah, that's that is a lot. And, you know, I think, um, you know, you brought up like supervisors like my supervisor was fantastic. Um, she was so down to earth. You know, she tried her best to you know come from an understanding perspective. But one of the things I feel was lacking, because I actually had, you know, um, two uh, supervisors at one point, mm-hmm. um, is that I don't really feel like, with at least from my experience, that there's not a lot of um, space for talking about um, mental health. So, like, you know, talk, being honest about, okay, what am I, what am I going through mentally right now? Um, I think for me, it was more a fear of maybe losing my job or um, I don't know. It's just maybe it felt like it was too personal to share with a supervisor. Like, hey, you know, you want me to do X, Y and Z um, and you want to add more to my plate. But, you know, at the same time, I'm feeling so overwhelmed, like I can't sleep or I'm feeling, you know, every day I come to work, I feel like I want to die. Like, you know, it's. I don't really feel like there's a space for that in supervision, at least from my experience. Right. Um, you know, to talk about what's really going on with with us as the clinician. Like, I feel like supervision is mainly for, okay, like what's going on with your caseload? You know, what modalities are you using? You know, what are you working on with this client? You know, how are they doing with, you know, attendance or wh- whatever they're going through? Right. So um, I feel like maybe that's, that's kind of lacking in supervision. Um, what do you feel like your perspective is on that? <laughs> I'm curious. I have a clinical, I have a licensed supervisor as I'm pursuing mm-hmm. um, the CSI. Well, it's the supervisory thing for the LCAS, the licensed mm-hmm. clinical addiction specialist. And with her, I think it's a good balance between skills, um, discussing caseload, as well as discussing my issues with it. I supervise um, a couple of um, licensed clinical addiction specialists in this role as a CSI. And with mm-hmm. that, I do the same. I want to. I would want to be what I would want to receive. I am what I would want to receive, because I feel like if you're not at your best, you can't be your best for your clients. And it's not about being the best. If you're not good, then you can't really be that good for your client. And there should be some balance between your life, as well as the work that you do. Yeah. I, I tell them oftentimes to build into your daily schedule your own wellness, your own meditation, your own breakaway. I tell them to go into these sessions with a plan, a delegated plan, a definitive plan so that, you know, you're not following the unruliness or the craziness of where that client might be. If you're stable, if you're well, then your client may feel off that vibe, that energy in order for them to want to be well, model what you would want to, what you would want to see reflected in that client. But, in my past, I've had supervisors that was just about the work, just about the productivity. And internally, I was suffering. Mm. Yeah. Um, and like you brought up the the bubble, right? It's like it's kind of like you do feel like you're on your own little island, even though you may be part of a team or you have a supervisor. Um, you know, but it is like, OK, like this is my caseload. This is what I have to focus on. You know, this is the paperwork that I have to do, like. Um, it, it can be very hard in certain work environments, um, to feel like, you know, you're a part of a team or, you know, you're, you're connected. 
So, um, you know, I think I've definitely experienced that where it's like, okay, like a lot of the stuff, it's my burden to bear. Um, you know, my, my coworker can't help me, you know, finish certain paperwork for an intake or, you know, my, my coworker can't, you know, do an individual session with a patient that I haven't been able to meet with because I'm in back to back groups and you can't pull them out during groups. And like, you know, all this stuff, it's like some, sometimes there's things that it's like people really can't help you with. So, you know, they always say like, ask, ask for help and speak up and stuff. And, um, sometimes there's just things that other people can't help you with. And, and that's hard too. You're right. You're right. But like my mom often said, a closed mouth does not get fed. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, that is true. So, um, I don't know. I think when I'm thinking about my journey now, mm-hmm. um, you know, I left, I left my position at the hospital, um, let's see, I think end of, end of June was when I finished. Um, and, um, you know, I had, I had gotten to this point where um, I was seriously considering leaving social work for good. Um, I was like, you know, I, I feel like <laughs> I'm actually in a, I want, I don't want to call it a support group. It's a psycho ed group. Um, Mm-hmm. And there's a, there's a guy on Instagram. Um, his, his handle is multi multi-dimensional J J A Y. And he's doing like a beta psycho ed group thing where he he's offering it for free. And he's talking about burnout and the signs and, and having that exit strategy. And I had talked a little bit about my experience. Um, and I started a new job <laughs> and I, and I said, you know, like I'm, I'm waiting, I'm waiting to see what, like I, I, when people ask me, how's your new job? I don't say like, Oh, it's great. I love it. Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, it's okay. I'm waiting to see how it goes. Is it going to be what it, what I experienced? Like I'm waiting for the shoe to drop. And he brought up a good point. He was like, he was like, you sound like a person who's left an abusive relationship and you're entering a new one and you're waiting for the abuse to begin again. Like, like I've been like, like, you know, abused in a work environment that has left me cynical, pessimistic, you know, um, that I'm waiting for a job that could be really great to turn into something terrible because it's what I'm used to. So. And it's crazy. um, That's (laughs) what a mental health world is. A a mental health agency could do that to a person when they're supposed to be the agency that alleviates that and should have that for their clinicians. I find in many agencies, they care more about the clients or not even that. They care more about the productivity that your work with the client manifests than you, the clinician who works with the client. Yeah. And that's just a sad place to be. Yes, definitely. So, so that's why I think like, I feel like I, um, I kind of did leave like almost like an abusive relationship and yeah, that pessimism and that cynicism is it's still there, you know? Um, And I think sometimes like that's what burnout does. It creates that cynical, cynical thoughts. And like, okay, like nothing's ever going to get better. You know, I had thoughts of like the work that I did doesn't matter. Um, You know, what is this all for? Um, And sometimes I feel like workloads, uh, you know, like the case management piece or documentation and other sort of paperwork, that, that almost feels like it supersedes the care that actually matters. 
um, the clinical work, like actually having time to meet with your patients once a week in addition to groups or making sure your treatment plans and they're meeting their goals. Um, and sometimes like the, I don't know, the corporate side of things get in the way of the clinical side of things. And, and okay, you know, we're here yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, and uh, I, I think that's kind of why when I, when I look at like, I belong to like some Facebook groups, um, you know, for social work and clinicians, mental health clinicians, I feel like once people get their their final level licensing, whatever that might be, they leave agencies and um, facilities in droves, and they wind up going into private practice. Private practice. Yeah. Um, and I'm I'm hoping like that might be what what might be in my future because you know being in control and and having more freedom and life work balance is I feel like is another thing that we need as clinicians to prevent burnout. Um, and, and, you know, for a lot of people, it's unfortunate because private practice isn't always financially feasible for people that need mental health help, you know, insurances are a pain in the butt to deal with. Um, the, the reimbursement rate is sometimes laughable at best. <laughs> um, and, uh, but I, I just know like private practice, I think is what a lot of clinicians goal is because it gives you freedom and it helps with burnout. Mm-hmm. And I, I just wish that facilities and agencies um, like understood the amount of work that they put on clinicians' backs, uh, because I feel like uh, facilities and agencies can be a lifeline for a lot of clients because they actually take insurance and, you know, there's grants. We did a lot of like charity care and grant funding and stuff for people that can't afford help, um, you know, so it's great work that they're doing. But in terms of what's going on with clinicians, it's not always the best. <laughs> yeah. Almost as if we're expendable or, you know, easily replaced. What you find, as I found, I've been in companies in which they had that mind state, oh, they're easily replaceable. We'll treat them like shit and, you know, just deal with the clients, da, da, da. So they burn out, they quit, they get another replacement. But it seems like every replacement becomes less clinical and less clinical and less clinical. Mm-hmm. That you're starting to get really shoddy work as your place as an agency because the people that you had that were unquestionably were some of the best clinicians at they were really focused right. on really gung-ho you know what i'm saying then it got to a point where they no longer got the support they needed to be successful and no longer that they might make a little update on linkedin or indeed or whatever mm. and so you get sorry or quality of clinicians coming in and then that's becomes a reflection of what your agency is at that time from then on. Right. Um, you know, you I have time you're invested in that person only to have to start over and then maybe not giving that next cohort, what you gave the previous cohort, because you're like, well, they're going to leave anyway. Yes. Um, you know, I have um, two friends of mine um, that are LCSWs and, you know, they accrued their clinical hours and an extremely toxic agency. Like I thought mine was hard, their their veteran like quote unquote their veteran is two years that's how bad the turnover rate was um where people made it a few months maybe a year max because the agency was absolutely toxic the owner had no experience in mental health it was a big money grab um the supervision i think like came through like family members that were licensed but they're in it for their own gain rather than like trying to nurture these baby clinicians and help them flourish. 
So, um, so yeah, so like I've, I've definitely heard horror stories um, of, of agencies that it is, it's just a cash, a cash grab, um, you know, and that was the one thing I liked about where I worked is that it was, you know, it wasn't always about that, but the productivity still mattered. Right. And sometimes it's, it's very challenging. Indeed. So, um, <clears throat> you know, where, where I am now, um, you know, as I'm focusing on trying to, to try to take more time for self-care, you know, my sleep is finally getting better. Um, you know, I was, um, at one point I was having nightmares like about my job multiple times a week. Um, you know, my, my boyfriend would hear me, like I would be yelling in my sleep, like having full on conversations, not just little mumbles, but like he would, he would hear me talking about work. I would like have nightmares about it. Um, so at this point, you know, now that I've left that, the nightmares have subsided. Um, you know, I'm still, I'm still in, in therapy now. Um, and I'm just, I'm working part-time, um, you know, to try to just focus on me and to be able to relax. Um, and I know not everybody has that same opportunity. People, some people can't afford to work part-time. I have, a, I had a little, I have a little nest egg saved up, um, so I can get by for a couple of months until I find another part-time job. But, um, you know, I think, I think with burnout, like sometimes we have to look at, okay, like how is this job making me feel? Mm -hmm. um, how is it impacting my life? And, you know, is there a way that I can get out? Right. Um, you know, I was leaving, I was leaving my job without a backup plan. Um, I, I even told my supervisor, I said, listen, like I'm putting in my one month's resignation. I don't have, um, you know, the, the dream job. I don't have any backup plans. I'm just simply leaving. Um, I told her, I was like, you know, like I'm, I'm basically, I'm going to see about getting a waitressing job because I've done that since I was 16 years old. I was like, I might mm -hmm. just start taking tables again. Right. Um, uh, you know, I was like, maybe I'll apply to Costco. I will do anything else outside of the realm of social work. Um, but then I did get, you know, I did go on an interview and I got the position and I thought, well, you know, this is a chance for a different population, right. a step back from the clinical role. It's more case management. Um, and it's, it's a foot in the door in a, in a great, another great hospital. So, you know, I, I just didn't, I was just ready to say, okay, like I'm done with social work for good. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm hoping that maybe this transition will keep me from leaving the fields altogether. Indeed. And as you yeah. said, you know, once that full license comes into effect, looking at some private practice options. Yeah. Especially during this world, this, the pandemic has opened up so many more doors because now we can virtually be a hundred percent telehealth and yeah. Yeah, you know, um, I think with the pandemic, um, you know, we we had to switch to telehealth as well at one point, and um, I think it it's it's a great option, um, but I do think sometimes as clinicians for telehealth, that can be draining too. Uh, I see a lot of clinicians say like, "Oh, like I miss having face to face, you know, talking through a screen. It's more it's more draining." Um, but I think as, as a whole, the world is just, 
um, it's going through a lot of turmoil. Yeah. You know, um, there's isolation, loneliness. You know, we have um, grief, death. You know, death and dying, loss from mm-hmm. from COVID. You know, we've lost over half a million Americans to this disease or virus, I guess. And um, you know, we've had we've had shifts in our work environment where you're working from home. You're trying to balance having children, and the kids are learning from home. And you know, hanging out with your family could be the difference between getting COVID and not getting COVID. Like, um, I don't know. The world the world is a, a very um, it's very different than what it was two years ago. <laughs> yes, definitely. So you know, it you know, definitely changed my world. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definite increase in you know in mental health. Like we see a lot of people coming in with depression and anxiety, adjustment disorders. Right. Um, you know, even in co-occurring, the the rates of overdose and substance use has absolutely skyrocketed. Um, and and I think it's due to a lot of stress. You know, people losing their jobs, um, just adjusting to working from home. Like there's there's a lot of different contributing factors to that. And um, yeah, it's it's just it's just a lot. So from your perspective, from your walk, from your information as a, you know, from a clinical background, what would you advise somebody to do to avoid burnout or get out of burnout? What would be some key things you think? Um, I guess my number one thing would be get a therapist. (laughs) Number one, get a therapist. Don't be afraid as a therapist to get a therapist. We have to keep, we have to keep our brains, you know, good like in order for us to help others right like they say like when the oxygen mask co- comes down and the, pr- the plane's going down you got to put your mask on first before you can help others you're no good if you're all you know if you're all what's the word like you're spent you know you can't pour from an empty cup that yeah. you know that old expression so you know getting yourself a therapist if you if you need medications explore it don't be afraid of it you know um i think for me medications was a, is a great tool in helping keep my anxiety um, in check. Um, I think, uh, also, you know, seeing if you can try to have a discussion with your supervisor, um, to try to alleviate some things. Um, for me, unfortunately, it didn't really seem like an option. (laughs) Um, but you know, if you can have a discussion with your supervisor to see if, if there's anything that you can do, um, don't feel guilty about taking PTO. Uh, I can tell you like that there's days where I'm like, Oh, like, you know, what am I going to walk back into? You know, when you, when you take off a week and it's like, Oh, it's almost more stress to leave and take time off and come back than it is to just stay. But (laughs) that mountain of paperwork, you got to come back to. (laughs) Right. Or, or like, you know, the chaos that you missed during the week and, you know, they're like, Oh, like this happened with your client and this happened and this happened. These are all the things that you need to like, you know, now triage now that you're back at work. Um, you know, don't be afraid to take PTO. Um, and I think, you know, trying to carve out time for self-care. Um, I know we talk about that with clients a lot. Like, well, what are you doing for self-care and what, where's your me time? And that was, I think that was one of my things is like at one point when I was balancing three jobs, like I didn't have time for self-care. The one day that I had off, I was, you know, sleeping in, trying to get errands done on that day. You know, I wasn't eating right because I, I was so spent. I didn't want to cook for myself. I'm eating, you know, fast food, crappy things that aren't like nutritious for your body. Um, you know, so it's like, you know, trying to, trying to make sure that you're eating okay, that you're sleeping okay, 
Um, you know, exercising, if that's an option, I'm trying to think of what else. Uh, and I, you know, I think for me, I was definitely fearful of leaving my job. Um, there was actually some feelings of guilt about leaving my job. <laughs> um, but I think, you know, a way to help with burnout is um, taking that leap of faith and trying to look for a different job. Right. Um, you know, sometimes it is, it is the position, you know, maybe it's not the population, but it's the environment that you're in. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, trying to be selective um, in that support group that I had, or psychoed group I had mentioned, um, it was funny because the, the gentleman Jay had brought up, uh, you know, like, uh, what did he call it? Almost like, uh, like job bombing where you are basically a, like just clicking on anything on Indeed, you know, you're just blasting away, just applying mm-hmm. at anything, anything at all. You don't even care what the requirements are to get the job. You just want out. Right. But I think, I think taking time to be selective for the job, like a new job is important. I know that there might be feelings of desperation. Like I need to get out of here. I need to get out. Like I can't take this anymore. Um, but it's okay to take your time and say, okay, you know what? I'll, I'll apply to these two jobs and, if I don't get it, okay, I'll check next month and I'll try to apply for a new position, something that actually fits you. Because the grass isn't always greener. You know, there, there's something to consider. But but creating an exit strategy, I think, too, is a way to help um, alleviate uh, burnout and preventing burnout. Is like, okay, like if this job is not good for me, it's okay to leave. Right. Yeah. So yeah. I think... These are some of the things that I think can help with burnout. <laughs> yes, yes, I believe so too. Any final words for the listening audience or for yourself? Mm. <laughs> Not final, any words of, as we leave this venture of this episode of More Than Therapy, focused on the journey mm. from burnout to recovery? Um, I would say if... Um, if this podcast resonated with you and you, you know, you recognize, Hey, I'm heading towards burnout. Um, it's, it's okay to ask for help. And like you said before, it's okay to not be okay. Um, and it's okay to look for a different job. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's okay. I know that you might be afraid. Um, maybe you feel like, okay, what's going to happen with my clinical hours or, you know, what if this job's not going to be able to give me the same accommodations that this job, you know, you won't know until you take that leap of faith. And, um, you know, if, if you're feeling that way, it's okay to leave. Got to do what's best for you. Gabby, I have a feeling that some people are going to want to reach out to you regarding your journey. Is there any social media or anything you would like to um, give them so that they can contact you or get in contact with you or connect with you? Um, sure. So if anybody is listening and they just want to hear more about my experience, um, you can find me on Instagram. Um, so my handle is uh, frequent napper, all one word. So just, you know, how you spell it. <laughs> F-R-E-Q-U-E-N-T napper, N-A-P-P-E-R. So uh, my, my page is public. If you want to DM me, you can. Um, I will do my best to get back to you. Indeed. Thank you, Gabby, for coming on the Morning Therapy Podcast. You've been a wonderful guest, and thank you for sharing your perspective. Thank you for having me. It was great to talk with you. Yes, and I believe that 
these type of conversations normalize not being okay and letting them know that it's okay to not be okay. <clears throat> to everyone, be well, be great. Ubuntu.